This episode of the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce is brought to you by RetroGameTreasure.com. These boxes are handcrafted to your playstyle and sent to your home, and they start as low as $29.99. Tell them about the boxes they can get, Johnny. They can get anywhere from three to five games a month from the Super Nintendo, the Nintendo, the Nintendo 64, Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, Sega Genesis. You know they have it all with Retro Game Treasure. And Deuce, it's a custom box. They handpick things that you like. They have an amazing website. You put on what you have, put on what you like, put on the genres that you want. They send it to you, custom hand box straight to your door. And of course, they never send you any duplicates. And they always ship on the 22nd of every month so you know they're on time just for you. And it's so easy to order, Deuce. What is the website? The website is Retro GameTreasure.com And don't forget to tell them that the Happy, Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce sent you. Hey, this is Batman writer and general all-around fictioneer Chuck Dixon, and you're listening to the Happy Hour with Johnny and Deuce. Hello, Internets. My name is Johnny Womack, and of course, we are live from Sci-Fi Bartow 2016 in beautiful Bartow, Florida. And of course, I got my main man, Deuce. What's going on, man? Hey, man. And of course, uh, well, we're not doing a Deuce salute today, I don't think. I think uh, we're... I'll oh, you opened one, one up? Yeah, I need one. Yeah, I need one anyways. I need, I need, I need my thirst quenched here. So, give me, give me good old uh, Steve Weiser. There we go. Nice. Good times. Of course, every episode starts off with the... The good old Deuce salute. Got our little koozies here. Okay, you ready, Deuce? Yes, sir. In stereo. You gotta In love that. stereo. I'm double-fisted now. I like it. Cheers. That's how I do it Cheers. at Sci-Fi Barto. And, of course, Deuce, we love to have special guests with us. As you heard at our uh, very beginning introduction, we have the amazing writer... Of, I mean, you've done everything, right? I mean, you're Batman. Like, you've done all kinds of people, right? Like, it's all over it's the place. It's a pretty wide range yeah. from, like, SpongeBob to Batman to yeah. Winter World to Punisher to Conan. So. so, we have the amazing Chuck Dixon. You're here. And so, it's first time at uh, Sci-Fi Bartow. Yeah, this is really neat. This is neat, right? It's just like a grassroots thing. It's really grown up, and, and, like, it's more of, like, a word of mouth. And it's really exploded. This is the third year they're doing it. This oh, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's like small town America invaded by geeks for one day. It's neat. <laughs> it Absolutely. Is. It's like if Mayberry got taken over by like the sci-fi <laughs> convention or something. It really is. It's Mayberry with cosplayers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, but yeah, so this is a really cool. It's it's like a glorification of all of your passions, which is awesome. Like you're lifting everything up for a day, and and no one's gonna judge you. You know, which is great. Like everyone come here. Everyone's kind of you know. Everyone has their own things they love. They they. It's exciting. There's Doctor Who out here. There's Star Wars. There's Star Trek. I mean, there's comic books. There's just people from all over, all walks of life. Which Whatever is awesome. that guy is. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> people dressed up as in their own cosplays, if you will, costuming or whatever you want to call it. People have their passions, and they wear it literally on their sleeves, you know. Yeah. So, which is awesome. And of course, this is our second year that we've been here. Deuce and I were here last year, yep. and it was just the one one block. Now it's three blocks. It's insane how how much it's grown, and uh, it's all because of you folks out there listening. You told everyone that you loved it and you wanted it back again this year. And, uh, of course, we have the amazing Chuck Dixon with us. And I'm going to try to ask you questions you don't normally get. So, because common questions are probably like, when did you get into writing? How long have you been writing for? You can, ask, you can answer those questions if you'd like. But I want to I ask you here, what's your favorite color? What, my favorite villain? Uh, color. Color. Color? Color, yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say blue. Blue. You're wearing a blue shirt. There you go. There you go. Deuce, I, I, you have I a favorite color. Get, I didn't get my cue from that. 
<laughs> I mean, who remembers what they're wearing? Yeah. Right? That's true. Deuce, what's your favorite color? Neon pink. Neon pink. Neon there you pink. go. I love Mine's hot green. Pink. Yeah. I like green. But the, the, your favorite color tells a lot about you. From what does I hear, it? it does. Yep. Okay. He's a magician, so I don't know where this is going. So. <laughs> that's, my other, that's my other gig. That's my other gig. I'll have to show him later. Which also, we got to say a big thank you. John Harrison, sir. John Harrison. Yes. Uh, it, it just thank you again. He's a former sponsor of ours and yep. for setting this up with us. Yeah, so we definitely. greatly, greatly yeah. appreciate it. He's an awesome dude. And I, I have to ask you a question. I know you've gotten it a thousand times already, but I just had to ask for myself. What was it like and what was your headspace when you created the character Bane? Well, uh, we needed a... A character to defeat Batman. Yeah. And uh, we, we, we wanted a new villain. Yeah. Um, and he had to be the intellectual and physical equal of Batman. Batman. Uh, but it was built in that he would be using Venom to pump himself up. So yeah. that would sure. be an edge, but also a liability because it, it makes him crazy. Crazy. <laughs> so, you know, I kept stressing at our meetings that... You know, this guy's got to be popular. This whole stunt won't work if we come up with a lame villain. Yeah. And it will all fall apart. And I kept stressing how hard we would have to work to make this character cool and relatable. And finally, Denny O'Neill, I think, got tired of me saying this and said, okay, then you create him. So I was sent home with the assignment of creating Bane. Uh, to my mind, every great villain has something sympathetic about them, something you can relate to. They're not just evil for evil's sake. And so I thought, well, what if he was, what if he's actually innocent? Yeah. And how would that work? What if he was born in prison serving his father's sentence? Because I had read that in North Korea they actually do that. You, oh, wow. You, you, they'll sentence children to serve the sentences of parents who got away. So uh, from there, it was, you know, a little bit of Iron Man, Man in the Iron Mask, a little bit of Luchador Wrestler. <laughs> Which I Grand love. Yeah. 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 Definitely. And, you know, I, I, he, he was a Hispanic because... Uh, Santa Prisca, the island he's imprisoned on, was already established in Batman continuity. And, you know, he just went from there. And, you know, uh, some of these characters take on a life of their own, and luckily Bane did. Well, he really did because I, I'm trying to think. I don't think there's any iteration of Batman, be it comic book, be it movie, be it uh, a video game, that Bane has not appeared in. Bane has been in every incarnation of Batman. Thank you, Lego. <laughs> yeah. I love Lego. They include him in all their games and all their sets. It's awesome. That's got to be a great feeling because you're like the father. like He's your child in a way. you know. Yeah, like, I always say Bane has two daddies, me and Graham. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, yeah, he's, he, he caught on. I mean, I never thought. I, I still can't get my head around the fact that, I, that Graham and I added a permanent member to Batman's rogues gallery. I mean, that's, that's high cotton. Absolutely. Well, I think it's great too because you have someone that's the intellect, but as well as he's, you know, usually you have like either the the, the brawn and the brain, but he's both, you know. Yeah. And like you said, someone that can be able to compete, uh, you know, with Batman, and that's that's yeah. not that's not an easy thing to do. It's well, fun. you know, Batman's an intellectual badass. So you yeah, got exactly. find an intellectual badass sure. to fight him. Yeah. yeah. And well, so, yeah. Well, I, I just thought it was interesting because if I remember correctly, I think Bane is the first villain that figured out who Batman was out of the costume all on his own. Like, he put yeah. two and two together, figured it all out, and I like the evolution of the character. Sure. Even though you may not be writing him now, like, they've, they've turned him all the way from villain to, like, an anti-hero good guy in certain issues. I mean, they've really – he's been able to run the gamut of what he could do as a sure. character. Well, like I say, because there's, a, there's, a, there's some element of sympathy and pathos yeah. in the character – He's sort of pre-programmed that, yeah, he can be an anti-hero as yeah. well. I mean, he can be a, a Frank Castle-type character. Sure. He, can, he can be the villain in his own book. Oh. What did you think of uh, Bane in um, Dark Knight Rises? 
Um, I'm glad they made him a household name. You know, that's cool. Yeah. You know, you don't even have to explain who Bane is to sure. anybody now. Yeah, everybody, sure. everybody knows. Sure. Uh, other than that, you know, I would have liked to have seen um, something a little closer. Well, a lot closer than they did. I mean, sure. I liked that he was tough. I liked that he was smart and all the rest of it. But uh, I was a little disappointed that he wasn't the mastermind at the end. Oh, okay, gotcha. But, you know, the way they mash together continuities yeah. on, on well, that was movies, it's, yeah. like it's understandable. Yeah, sure. You have a lot. Because with comics, you have several, several, several issues. You're able to develop a story right. and, you know, and all that, and exposition and right. backstory and all that that you couldn't necessarily do in a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Or, let's be honest, Nolan movies are three hours long. In a right. three-hour movie. Right. And, you know, to do what they did, I, I, I think... I'm not sure. Do you watch comic book movies? I know you probably. Get, I mean, you probably need. Uh, some sometimes. I do, some I don't. It yeah. Do you have any on, favorites? Uh, I like the. I love the Iron Man movies. Oh yeah, those are great. And I like Ant Man movie. Those yeah. are probably my favorites of all they've done. Sure. Uh, because, in especially in the Marvel movies, you get those moments where I, I sort of the hair stands up on the back of my arms because yeah. longtime Marvel fan, and I see things in those movies that absolutely replicate. The stuff I saw when I was a kid. Sure. You know, Ant Man running through the tunnel with the ants. Yeah. I was just like, you know, I was like a giddy nine-year-old again. Yeah. Watching that. So, uh, I think that's when they're best. When they fully, they make an effort, a conscientious effort to replicate that feeling of the comics. Absolutely. And another thing I love too is like sometimes, as a writer, you've got to love that comic books are kind of like lifted in the mainstream they're cool again like people are going to see these comic book movies that never read comics before yeah. and then they're going in and, and, and they're reading comics now because of these comic book movies it's got to be an awesome feeling I, yeah I wish the movies and TV shows were moving them more toward comic books than they are sure but you know because I don't think we're seeing that huge of, of, um, an explosion in sales of comics right uh, as, as relates to their, their, their increased exposure but yeah it, it, it's cool but I, I too many too many people look at like, oh, they're making a movie or TV show out of this. It validates the comic. And I always felt the comic doesn't need validation. Sure, it absolutely. It is what it is. Absolutely. I mean, I've talked to different, you know, producers and stuff about adapting work that I've created. Sure. And they'll say, well, we're going we're gonna to have to change this. We're going to have to change that. My attitude is I don't care because for me the comic was the last word. The comic is eternal. You know, whatever you change, you change. I was kind of treated. I really like that. I do too. And I, I, I treat it. I kind of treat it as its own separate entity almost because comics were the original. It's like the Bible, you know. Yeah. That was the original word, you know, and then everything else after it's kind of, you know, kind of like fan fiction in a way. It's kind of like yeah. its own, you know. Oh, even, even more so now. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. you know, I mean, the term fan service makes me grit my teeth. Sure. Because it's like you're not, you know, you, you, I've seen movies that were all fan service, and it's like these aren't enjoyable. If you're not sure. a fan of this already – you're just an average guy walking into the movie theater or turning on the TV. You're not going to get a second of this. Sure. You're not going to get appreciated at all. So I think that's a danger. But, you know, overall, I mean, comics are such an intimate media. It's a guy sure. writing and a guy drawing. Yeah. And, it, and it's purest form, a guy writing and drawing it, one guy. Sure. And it's all just put on paper, and it's instant and, you know, by the seat of your pants, medium. Yeah. And, and that's the beauty of it. And I think that's, you know, the best movies capture that. Absolutely. And what's your thoughts on the way the digital world has taken over? You know, you have like Comixology apps and all that stuff. What's your thoughts about comic books in the digital form? You know, 10 years ago, everybody was like, where's digital comics going? And I would always get asked that question. I go, who, who knows? I mean, they didn't know where the PC was going when they created it. Yeah. You know, sure. hell, they didn't know what the telephone was going to be used for when they invented it. So, right. 
So it's it's what the public decides. But I got to say, I'm surprised at the the level of digital sales because I see them from royalty statements. I mean, I know DC sells a hell of a lot of digital comics to justify whatever check they're sending me twice a year. So the um, the uh, the thing that I that you have to factor in is digital allows you a worldwide audience. Sure, absolutely. Which you know, print doesn't. I mean, I, I've done some comics for India, and India couldn't even really think about doing comics until digital, because there's too damn many languages on that one continent. That's true. So now they can do digital, and you know, you pick your language. Yep. So. Well, it's interesting too, especially the way we, the way people subscribe, the way you look at media, the way we consume media has changed a lot too. You know, you have like Netflix and whatnot. That's that's been a great platform for Marvel to be able, to, like, especially with Jessica Jones and, and Daredevil, and the and the way they were able to take those and kind of deviate away from the the colorful, campy Marvel movies. They're kind of like kind of had its own. I almost kind of treated as a separate thing. It yeah. kind of has more of a DC effect for me when I'm watching the <laughs> the Dare when I'm watching the Daredevil and Jessica Jones because it's very dark. You know, a lot more of a dark source material right. and, and uh, tone is darker and you know whatnot. And it kind of has its own feeling, almost like a different audience would watch those as opposed to the Marvel films that are PG-13. I, I, was, I was invited over to Miami for like a broadcasting convention a few years ago. Sure. And it was announced at the convention that Netflix was going to start doing new material. Oh, wow. You know, find it. And I, it was like being at the invention of the light bulb. You know, it was like being there when the apple fell on Isaac Newton's head. Yeah. The whole place was in an uproar. Sure. Because everyone in that place realized the game has changed. Today the game has changed. And the poor woman from Netflix who was there to meet and greet everybody looked like a deer caught in the headlights <laughs> because she wasn't a Hollywood person. She wasn't sure. an entertainment person. She was an exec who helped make this decision. And, and everybody's coming up to shake her hand and kiss her ring and bow to her feet, and she's, like, stunned. You know? <laughs> but it was a, an amazing moment. But it, it has freed everything up, sure. streaming, digital, all the rest of it. The only danger is, is that we're all going to go down the track of the music business, which broke up into niches. You know, sure. there's no blockbuster CDs being sold anymore. No. You know, it's all download. But the beauty of that is, the flip side of that is, y- you, you can be a group that does very, very well you know, doing 50,000 downloads a year. Sure, absolutely. You know. Yeah, so. you, and yeah, it's it's different because the, I think a lot of, uh, with digital, you, any way companies can save money as well, cutting costs, because think about it, if you have a digital, you don't have to ship it out, you don't have to print it, you don't have to, you know, like they're saving costs, but you also, Deuce and I are from the generation yeah. as well that we love tangible media, and that feeling of opening a comic book when we were kids, and still today, opening it, the smell of a comic book, like, People at home that don't know have no idea what we're talking about, but like you just open it up and then just that feeling, the texture there, the tactile sensation of being able to look through and at your own pace. Because sometimes digital kind of does things for you. Well, see, that's the thing. Like me personally, I will not buy digital comics. Period. I want a physical copy I can hold in my hand that I can put in my bag and my board and put in my long box yeah. and collect. Because but I'm we're from that generation that that still yeah, does that, you yeah, know. And it, now younger kids and especially like I've got nieces and nephews and stuff and they read the digital comics and I think it's great because one of them lives in an area that's very rural they don't have a comic book store but 
he can get it on his iPad and he can download and he can get the season pass or whatever they call but, it for Marvel and DC yeah. where he gets their comics and they just send it to him and he pays his monthly fee. And I'm like, this is really cool because now, you know, he, he's actually my go-to guy now. He's the one I call when I've got a comic question because <laughs> he reads everything that's new. And I'm like, oh, you know, hey, what's going on with this character? It's like, oh, Uncle Deuce, you don't even know. Like, <laughs> this is what's going on. And so, you know, and he keeps up with it. And in the area he is, like, literally the nearest comic book store is over an hour away. So, like, I get it. And for him, it's perfect. But for me, it's like if I don't have it and I can, can't hold it in my hand, I don't want it. Well, I mean, it's a generational thing. Yeah. Sure. I mean, and we're getting old. As I much mean, hate to say it, me and you, Johnny, yep. we're getting old. Hey, yep. look, at my age, I'm the guy they print omnibuses for because, you know, I call them large print comics. <laughs> yeah. I want to be able to see them. I still want to hold the comic in my hand, but I can't read the word balloons anymore. Yeah. So they got to print them larger for, you know, guys like me. But, yeah, it's a generational thing. I mean, eventually the monthly comic, I mean, they know they've been predicting this forever. But it's got to fade away because it's not economically viable anymore. To do it every month. I mean, you know, the, the monthly comics defray, used to defray the cost of the trade. Yeah. You know, now it's just going to be about producing content for digital. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like when I worked on Simpsons comics and now work on SpongeBob comics, they don't sell very well here. Yeah. But there's huge audiences overseas. Sure. So all we're really doing is creating material for foreign publications, yeah. which, which is cool. You know, because it gives us all work, and they pay great page rates. Basically. Sure, absolutely. You know, but but you know, it's it's a whole new game, and it's hard. It's like anything else now. You know, every eighteen months, everything changes, and everybody's got to run to keep up. Yeah. And the kids don't, because to them, it's intuitive. Yeah. Yeah. What's well, adapting to technology too? Ch yeah, the I mean, changes. they're expecting the world to change constantly. Absolutely. And we're like, stop, stop. Yeah. I, I like slow down. This. <laughs> slow down. Yeah. This yeah. is the way I love, and also. When, when something you don't get with a digital is you don't really have an inherent intrinsic value to it as well too like you feel prideful like I always I always make the joke it's like I have all this I have probably like 80 gigs worth of music and I also have vinyls and I have uh, CDs but like if you say hey uh, I want to show you my music collection you double clicks on yeah, yeah. folder <laughs> you know what I mean like because you don't really there's not like a sense of pride there of ownership no, there's no pride when you own it digitally and the thing is is I feel like I mean, God forbid anything happens. I still have my comics. They're still in sure. the boxes. If anything happens in the cloud or something, it's gone. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, yeah know, the, the cloud gone. The yeah. cloud will kill us eventually. Yeah. yeah. Well, Skynet rises. Skynet, yeah. Yeah. At least I know the I can cloud still is read evil. all of my yeah. Batman comics that Chuck Dixon wrote because I still got them in a long box. Axe, well, my, absolutely. My, my wife questions why I have thousands upon thousands of DVDs and Blu-rays. I, I always say I'm a media survivalist. Yep. You know, whenever, when the EMP hits... And nobody can stream Netflix anymore. <laughs> you know, everybody in the neighborhood's gonna be coming to our house to watch movies. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Uh -huh. Well, but it reminds me. I'm a huge Twilight Zone fan. The original Twilight Zone. Uh, Rod Serling was a, a master, like when it comes to writing. Because I mean, the guy. You, you write about a lot of things that you grew up around, like your society, the way it kind of shapes you, and who you become. But you can also change from that. And so I imagine some of the writing that you have that you you've written is based on some stuff that you you know grew up around and things that you've seen. You probably had like. You know, you, when you wrote the character of Bane, like, you probably had, like, you know, people you've seen or read or watched on television that kind of helped shape that character for you. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've read a theory that 
that every writer is actually writing about the generation prior to theirs. Sure. Because they're yeah. writing about their parents. Oh, that's and So you way. might see a story set in the 1930s, but it's actually got the attitudes of the turn of the century. I mean, things like that. And if you really, and it's really, that idea has opened my eyes to see that you know, it's true. You that's know? fascinating, that actually. Really yeah. Because I never really see, thought about that before. You'll yeah. see current day characters on TV and they're making 80s references. It's sure. Like these people weren't alive in the 80s. Yeah. Sure. You know, and, and it's, well, the writers were. You know, or they're writing about what their parents were interested in. So it's it's what you were exposed to because especially now with all the media storage everywhere and you can watch anything from any time period or listen to music from any time period. You know, I mean, you know, my kids are, they watch John Wayne movies. Yeah. You know, um, and, and I just read the other day that the, the, the annual Harris poll of your favorite movie actor, John Wayne comes in four. Everybody else is alive still making movies. But John Wayne is number four. Yeah. You know, and that's an accurate poll. And I think he's been on that list almost forever. As long as I'm he sure because yeah. that's the thing. Like when I was a kid, my father like pretty much won't watch anything that's not a western. So like, I like I, your father. Yeah, <laughs> literally all, all I grew up watching was Bonanza and Gunsmoke. Yep, and that's anything with too. John Wayne in it. Yep. So like, yep. literally, it, you know, I grew up watching John Wayne. So no, I, I get that. Yeah, I have uh, I have two of those 400 DVD changers. Each one holds 400 DVDs. Right. And they're both full of westerns. Yeah. Nice. That's, well, actually, my dad kicks Love it even westerns. old schooler. He's got a, two shelves that are full of VHS no, I, I, John Wayne tapes. <laughs> and I actually bought when a Walmart was like clearancing yeah. VHS players. I bought four of them, and they're in my attic, still in shrink wrap. <laughs> in case one of his dies, I'll just pull it out, open it up, plug it in, and give him a new one. So, yeah, because he hates the DVD player. The Blu-ray player, forget it. Like he hates it. Well, that's like that's like me with HD DVD. I loved oh, yeah. HD DVD. Yeah, uh-huh. and I bought all of the movies, and I've yeah. got like four players stacked away that's it, never been opened. Ditto. Yep. Yeah, because I actually like the HD DVD oh, better than the Blu-ray. It's awesome because the, the it was so crisp and so clear. The depth is amazing. Yeah. So no, I'm right there with you on that yeah. because I remember we I was working at a, a game place at the time, and it ha- came down that you know we're discontinuing and I bought two, and I've got them in the attic. Yeah, it's funny how you have to almost uh, they they get rid of a, a you know a format and then you have to accept it or don't yeah. go with that format anymore. And I remember I was working at Blockbuster at the time when they were phasing out the VHS tapes. And you still have people that come in that the purists, if you will, they're coming in like, oh, I want VHS and whatnot. But there's there's pros and cons to everything that you do, anyways, when yeah. it comes to formats. Because like DVD, one of the pioneers was it was a huge storage space, so you could put a lot more on it. Yeah. Right. Like you got to see. It wasn't until really till DVDs that you really got to see behind the scenes on, yeah. on features at and home. You got to see like deleted scenes, right? And, like commentary stuff they tracks. Cut out. Yeah. You really got to learn more about yeah, films, the movie. which is great. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Sorry. There's also the physical space that a CD or a DVD takes up versus a VHS. Sure. The VHS is a lot thicker and bulkier. You can put two DVD cases in the space of one VHS. That's true. Case. So, yeah, for storage purposes of, you know, actually carrying the, the DVDs around in your collection, you have more room and whatnot. But also, I remember the first time you, you, you paused the DVD and it didn't go like this. Because like, <laughs> there's it little things that you're like, you remember growing up. You're just like, it, you can actually, it's clear when you pause it, it doesn't shake. 
you know, you don't have to rewind it. And there's a lot of things that you, you know, you take it's for funny granted. Funny you mentioned that because my mom, when DVDs that happened, she was like, "I so wish we had this when you were a kid." Because my mom made all my Halloween costumes, so we'd have to rent Ghostbusters. Oh. She'd have to pause it, and while it's bouncing, she'd have to scribble little notes and like sure. draw little doodles, right. so she'd know how to do it. And she's like, "If I had this with you when you were a kid, it would have made my life like a hundred times hilarious. easier." Because she made all of my – she was a cosplayer before cosplayer was cool. Yeah. Because she made all of my costumes by hand, Batman, yeah. Ghostbusters, you name it, she made it. So That's hilarious. Hand yeah. Solo, which you would have loved. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's it's funny how music has changed. You you look at Spotify, it's a subscription-based service. You can pay nine, $10 a month, and you can yeah. go and just listen to anything from the doors to jazz music to – the thrash, metal, punk, whatever you want. I mean, you can go in and listen to classical music from Mozart, whatever right. you want. And right. so, so from that aspect, it's exciting because you have all this at your fingertips. But it's also overwhelming yes. because remember back in the day when they, Google didn't exist, and you had to, when you had to go look up something, you went to the encyclopedia. Well, now it's like Google has everything there, and you don't ever find yourself stumbling across things anymore. Because no. like you could go on an encyclopedia and just go, I'm going to turn to this page and. And learn something. But now Google is like you, you have to kind of like already know it, know what it is. You can't really discover stuff anymore. And that's one thing that's, for me, kind of feels weird that you can't discover anything really anymore. Well, you're also, you know, you can only discover what Google puts on the first few pages. Sure. Because who's going to go through every page? That's true. And and I don't know. I don't know if everybody's like this, but it's like when you got cable and it's like, oh, I got all these channels and you watch three. I, you, you have the Internet, which is unlimited. And I think I go to four websites. Right. You know, I really don't you go have your, anywhere you, else. Yeah, you have the ones that you that mean something to you, and that's about it. Yeah. You have all this. It's overwhelming sometimes. I just, yeah. Well, yeah, so you're, I think, after a I while, don't know. your I've been brain known just to get says, down. I've got to limit it. I've you been know. known to fall down the, the YouTube rabbit hole. Oh, oh YouTube, yeah. <laughs> yeah, YouTube yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then you, you see something that you don't know about on YouTube, and then you go and you Google it. So, I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, literally, at work sometimes, like I'll be slow and I'll like Wikipedia something, and I go down this Wikipedia rabbit hole. Of, yeah, because like, always these hyperlinks for everything. Yeah, because yeah. like, I, like prime example, like I got in this aliens rabbit hole the other day where I was like reading about the movie Aliens and like all the stuff that like he came up with and how he came up with it and it went through this like deep, oh my god it like <laughs> yeah, that does happen thank god my brother doesn't listen to my show because I probably <laughs> spent like three hours on Wikipedia <laughs> while I was supposed to be working so so my, my question to you Chuck is uh, where's the state of comics now what, what do you see like well, because there's a lot of uh, people getting into the business that are really blowing up, like Image and stuff. Like it's not yeah. necessarily before it was just like DC and Marvel, but now you have all these other, you know, independent sources coming in and doing pretty well for themselves. Well, DC and Marvel are still because of market share, the the industry sure. leaders. Sure. But um, you know, you get yeah. phenomenon like The Walking Dead, which you know outsells everything by sure. by an amazing amount. I mean, you know, it's like Walking Dead is the Beatles, and everybody else is a garage band. You know, the sales are so crazy. But um, the, the, how it's morphed is, unfortunately, the business has become more Hollywood. And, and by that, I mean in a bad way. Okay. With, with uh, It's difficult to get a comic done unless, you know, I mean, you can go to a place. So many of these publishing houses are now basically clearing houses for intellectual property, hoping to sell ancillary rights. Uh, you know, boom, IDW, Image. They're all going to own a piece of whatever it is you bring to them and create, sure. which would be true with the big two. And you're going to own a bigger piece of it. But they're going to be your partner 
and and especially IDW. IDW is a very active partner sure. in, in selling stuff, ancillary rights, to the point of investing their own money, and um, so it's it's morphing into that. You know, it's their development houses for for movies and TV, which is sad in a way, but a great opportunity. If you click, you click. But you know, it's like every kid out on the court's not going to become an NBA star. You know, every independent comic, you know, done by some guys putting in their own time is not going to become, you know, a series on Netflix or AMC. Sure. And but the 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 worst thing is though is that there's one thing, one sin that every publisher falls prey to is they take advantage of the enthusiasm of creators. Yeah. Because we're geeks. Yeah. I'm I'm in. I'm in talks with an artist with a big company about a major character doing a long arc, and they can't believe that we're not just sort of all googly-eyed going to take their first offer because, oh, wow, I've always wanted to work on that character. Sure. Because, you know, I'm older now. But young guys get in this business, they'll work for nothing or free, get taken advantage of, you know, and they're just creating, creating, creating. And then when the thing blows up, find out how little of it they actually have. You know, how little money they're going to make. You know, because I know a lot of creators are all whoop-de-doo because yeah. they used my character on The Flash or they used my character on Arrow. It's like, well, where do you see the check? Sure. You know, you might be able to take your family to Red Lobster, <laughs> literally, if yeah. you don't order drinks. Yeah. yeah. Know, this check will cover it. You you're yeah. better be able to take them to, like, maybe McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, back when Paul Levitz and Jeanette Kahn were running the company, they'd cut you a decent check yeah. right. for that. You know, right. something, that, yeah, okay, this is good. You know, but it's all Hollywood model. It's all cost cutting and risk aversion. Sure. You know, and and that's the big way that it's changed. And that's what scares me because I personally like. I agree with you. I think the they're writing now to where it's more like we hope this will get picked up, and they're not being as creative as they used to be. They're not taking the chances that they used to take. They're not doing crazy things and they keep rebooting universes and keep shuffling characters around and well, I think a the, lot of it has to do left to their own devices the creators would take the chances take the risk yeah. come up with the wacky seat of your pants stuff yeah. like I said before but they're being managed from above you yeah. know we need this we, they're being dictated to we need this we need this we need this element that element and then and then your comic goes through a post production process where yeah. they'll actually rearrange panels you know, so there's a committee where that never used to be. Yeah. The example I use is the the the, the new 52 at DC would have been enormously successful if they had handed it off to 52 different creative teams and said, "Go crazy." I agree. Don't worry with that. about yep. continuity. You would have had at least a dozen breakout hits. Sure. Oh yeah. But instead, you got sort of a one-size-fits-all Walmart kind of continuity and that's like to be honest with you and i hate to say this because i know you used to work for dc but once they did the new 52 it turned me off i'm like i'm done like i'm out and then i i, I haven't picked up a new dc comic in a long long time yeah, don't get me started on dc yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it's not the same company that i used to work for and see that was the thing like once marvel got big with the movies i knew that they were going to go hollywood and i knew that so yeah. I was expecting it. So when they did it and they did the Marvel Now and they did all the Marvel shakeups, I expected it. But I thought if there was going to be one holdout, it would be DC. And DC would be like, you know what, we're going to stick to our roots. We're going to stay to our roots. And then, no, they went super Hollywood. And no, they're ashamed of yeah. their roots. They're yeah. same. There's, 
Larry Hama broke it down for me once. He said that at the core of Marvel is a Jewish sense of humor, a self-effacing Jewish sense of humor yeah. that they should always have. Yeah, they and should at the always stay with. At the core of DC is goofiness. Yeah. And you sometimes you got to lean into the goofiness. Sure. The beauty at Marvel is they lean into all of the things that are at their core. Yeah. And Mar- and DC runs away from them. You know, they make you know a, a, a noir costume for Superman. You know, it's like they're ashamed of it. Yeah. And, but but Marvel leans into it, and you know if, if it's crazy and goofy and and funny, they do it. Sure. Yeah. You know, and um, you know, that's that's the main difference between the two, and you can't run away from it. And especially at Marvel, Marvel was so seat of the pants, so crazy. Every even when I worked there in the '80s and '90s, it was like every comic was a miracle it came out. You know, because it was just the process yeah. was so. It was all mayhem, but that's how you got all that cool stuff. Yeah, like I, like prime example, and actually John from our good friend John, John Harris, Harrison Harrison from Main Street Thank Comics you. and Memorabilia. Thank yep. you. Helped me with it. He helped me complete my run of X Men from the eighties because I wanted the eighties and the early nineties, the ones we grew up on. Sure. And he helped me complete my collection, which I thank him for. But those were the ones I liked because they were flying by the seat of their pants. Yeah. They were doing crazy sure, storylines. Yeah. Like, my favorite comics, hands down, are from the 80s and 90s. So when I go to a comic book shop, I don't even go to the new wall. I go back in the bins and go looking for the old stuff. Sure. That's where my heart is. And part of it might be my age, but the other part is, like, there's nothing in the new stuff that really makes me want to put down that money. And plus, they've gotten way more expensive than they used to be. Oh, like yeah, yeah. Five, six dollars now. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, there's no value there. Yeah. You know. Like, when you put that money down, even if I put it in a long box, it's not going to gain any value. That's why a lot of people buy the trades, you know, the, the combined volumes. Well, you know. I've definitely switched hardcore over to the trades because you've seen at my house. I've got, sure. like, two shelves full of trades. And they're easier to hold on and to collect and put your bookshelf. It's easy to give to a friend. Sure. Like, That's true. Good point. Because Johnny did that a lot with me. Like, he bought, you bought, like, four or five in the new 52 ones. Yep. And Johnny gave them to me, and I read them. I'm like, all right, they've got some good ideas here. Like, I like it, some right. of the stuff they're doing, but... He was the one who tried to get me back on the DC bandwagon yeah, like, because I was yeah. staunch, like, no, no, DC, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I was like a little kid with a temper tantrum. I was like, no, give me my baby. I don't want this. Well, I'll tell you one thing that New 52 did for me, and I don't know if this is a, if I'm like in the 1% or whatever, but it actually got me back into reading comics because I went through a phase where 80s, 90s, like Deuce said, reading comics hardcore. Like, you can go to 7-Eleven every week. Yeah. They would have a comic book on the shelf. Like, everyone had it, comic books. And then it was like after the death of Superman, it kind of got weird for a while for DC, especially with uh, the what they did with Superman. And then it kind of got Batman was cool and all that. And then Spider Man had like five million variations of Spider Man, Web of Spider Man, Amazing Spider Man, Spectacular Spider Man. You know what I'm talking about? All over yeah, the world. Mary Jane it, loves Spider Man. Yeah, like, so it kind of yeah. got kind of Spider-Man's convoluted baby. Like, a little yeah. bit, and I, it was hard to follow as a fan, and it got expensive. And then I just kind of stopped for a little bit. And well, then, you had a couple kids and got well, married had, in yes. there, too. So. But, and then I decided to get back into it. And I was like, all right, cool. New 52, it's all from the beginning. Eh, quote, unquote, uh, air quotes. And then I kind of got back into it, and it kind of reaffirmed my love of comics. Although I don't collect all the New 52 anymore because I guess it's going away. But it did reaffirm my love for comics again. So I, I, I thank DC in that aspect that it got me back into getting a weekly or a monthly subscription. Uh, you know, for for comics and yeah. so like I remember, I remember just like meeting different uh, comic book writers, you know, and they 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 were all telling me their stories about the New Fifty Two and how like you have like your mastermind behind all of it, but you kind of felt like you're limited on what you can do yeah. because you you were kind of with blinders on because you could you didn't know where your path was going to go, so you had to like be very you know careful what you were going to do, and so that was that was one of the things that I I kind of felt 
you know, strange with especially with the was it the flashpoint paradox because yeah. that kind of changed everything. Like it was like, all right, well, you go back in reverse, you're gonna change the whole universe, the spectrum, and that got for as a, as a comic book reader kind of got confusing a little bit. And I can imagine the writers had issues trying to keep continuity. That's yeah, there, tough. There, there's too much attention paid to like this uber continuity that sure. you know, only yeah. the most hardcore fan can follow. Sure. The casual reader, forget it. They're, yeah. they're not even interested in casual readership anymore. Sure. Um, so you know, where do you go? I mean. As an example, I mean, you want to do a comic now, you have to have meetings and sure. conference calls sure. and all this other stuff with, with all kinds of people. I remember back at Marvel, an editor tracked me down at a friend's house to tell me that an artist, his wife just had a baby, really needed money, could I write a story for him? And I said, well, I'll pitch you some stuff tomorrow. He goes, can you tell me a story now? <laughs> and I can get him started on the first few pages. Yeah. And I said, okay, uh, Punisher, it's snowing. <laughs> you know, yeah. I him like the first four pages. And, and, you know, today, unthinkable. You would have to have 16 people sign off on well, it. Well, that was my question for you is, like, when you were working in the industry, how did it work? Like, because I feel like now a lot of this is across the Internet. Like, you have a, a penciler over here in this state. You have someone doing inks in another state, someone doing the writing in another state. Was that the way it was back in the day? Or did you have a main hub that you were well, working well, in? Well, FedEx changed everything back then because you didn't have to live near New York. Oh, okay. You, you could sure. Do, you know, overnight delivery of stuff. So that, that saved everything. But, you know, I remember sending in, you know, I have to send in a printed script. I lived close enough to New York. I'd go in once a month, you know, just sure. to show my face. Absolutely. Yeah. Remind them of who I am. Yeah. You know, because editors have memories of a fruit fly. <laughs> so, so and, and they'll, you know, any of them that are being truthful will, will agree with me. But the, um, you know, and then, of course, the Internet changed everything. And the, the art, the inker, well, there's no physical artwork if you don't want it to be. There's actually no physical artwork. It's, it's, it's pencil on a computer. It's, it's inked on a computer. It's all colored on a computer. What's now. your thoughts on that? Well, I can't see any difference. My buddy Graham, who you know, I probably know better than any other artist in the industry, recently started working on a tablet, and I can't tell the difference. It looks like Graham to me. It looks you good, You can right? see the artist's hand. I was always worried that you would lose that intimacy, that, that immediate feeling of seeing the artist's hand in sure. the work. But you don't. I mean, he's able to do things that he couldn't do with a, a physical uh, pen. Sure, and then, yeah, there's different brush techniques. But it still and looks like, like him. Yeah, it still has you know? his, his uh, signature to it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what's, another thing that's also great about digital media is the, the unlimited canvas. Like, you can mess up or try something again, yeah. re start from scratch, you don't have to waste all that paper and ink and all that. So the, like the, un the unlimited resources is also nice. Well, a lot of times you don't have to draw the same thing twice. Um, I remember at CrossGen, uh, we, we had pretty cool pro computer programs and a pretty sophisticated blue line printing system and we were able to use actually sets over and over again i mean sets that you know guys would spend two days drawing the first sure. time never have to draw it again and you couldn't readers couldn't tell it right. and then we on, on el cazador the pirate book we did we bought a program that supplied us with uh 3d interactive wireframe models of like 12 different pirate ships wow because that's why there's never been a monthly pirate book. You can't draw those ships. No artist can draw those ships over and over again. No way. And so Steve Epting was able to lay down a model and then do all the rendering over it. That's cool. And from yeah. any angle, any crazy angle I asked Yeah, you could for. turn it, yeah, in a 3D yeah. space. Yeah, and then yeah. it would be accurate. That was sure. the thing that was most important. Yeah, because that was one thing is, because what, what he's talking about, folks at home, is like you're able to render it in a 3D space where you're able to actually turn the object and it'll still keep its form and shape and everything like that. Instead of before, back in the day, you'd have to, 
go by like references and keep going right. around and try to make it look right, you know, especially from a different angle and whatnot, which was tough sometimes, especially because the, they were limited on time as well back in the day, right? Like you had to get, didn't you have deadlines and whatnot? Yeah, yeah you, you had, had to, you know, <coughs> every artist doing a monthly book had to do 22 pages in 30 days. Right. You know, and very few could do it. It's I tough. Mean, my hero is Scott McDaniel. We did our entire run of Nightwing, uh, specials, inventory issues, Wizard one halves, zero issues, everything, and he never missed one. That's I mean, awesome. He did more than a monthly book. So uh, how, how often do you have to collaborate with the artist? Because, I mean, we can't assume at home, like, everyone knows how this process works. Like, how do, like, so as a writer, do you cre- actually create the character in your mind and you tell the artist, or is it a little bit of a collaboration between both? Well, I write full script. Sure. Which I'm describing everything. Sure. And then all the dialogue is there. Okay. But I'm real flexible. I'm picturing it in my head. But it's not necessarily going to come out the way I picture it. Now, I know writers who will take the finished work and compare it to the script. I never do that. I always tell my artists, you know, your major task is to make me look like a genius. <laughs> so whatever you do, if it has to be changed. Because the artist, let's face it, is spending a lot more time with that page than I spent with it. Uh, sure. Yeah. Just writing it. You know, I can, I can write about, you know, interplanetary warfare, and, and it only take me a few days. But this guy's got to spend a month, you know, or more. So, and it depends on the artist. I mean, I collaborate quite a bit with Graham Nolan, sure. uh, Sergio Cario, because I know him, know them, yeah. we're, we're friends. So they'll call on the phone or email with questions, or can I change this? Or There's a lot of back and forth. You understand how they operate. So but, you, you know, other guys, yeah. is, they, they draw what's there. But I'm always told by artists my scripts are easy to work from. That's always you know? good. Yeah. I mean, it's laid out, and it's formatted, but it's still flexible. Sure. Well, because that was another question as a reader. I was always curious, like, when you get to the, the bubbles, like the speech bubbles, like, d- does the – is it all just like, all right, this is – as a writer, do you want to convey this in a, like, first half? Like, how does that, when it comes to your script, like, do you have any say in, like, how that gets laid out in the – Oh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, each panel has the, 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 the caption, the, the word balloons included. It's all dialogue. Oh, cool. Included. Okay. And, and the thing is, I, my mutant ability – is to be able to see the page in my mind and know what will fit comfortably. Sure. You know, uh, I don't know. That's of no use unless you're a comic book writer. Sure. So I'm able to picture the page. Now, again, the, pic- the page never comes out the way I pictured it, but sure. that's fine as long as it looks awesome. Yeah. I don't care. But, you know, you know, it, you reach a certain point where, my God, these characters are talking a lot. I might have to break this up into six panels, and I might have to lose this one panel. You know, it's a long shot or whatever. Yeah. You know, but it's all it's the mechanics of doing it. How do you write action scenes? Um, I, the the thing with action scenes is to come up with a, a, a cool setting that hasn't been used a million times. You know, you know, not another warehouse, not another rooftop, right. and um, then it just sort of you know pacing it out, you know, blocking it out of my head. You know, uh, the biggest thing is how long should the action scene be? Sure. Yeah. And then playing with time. I mean, you can make the reader believe they read a lot more action than they read, depending on how intense it is. Sure. Yeah. So, um, but you know, action is my forte that's the one i like you know i I insist every story has to have three segments of action in it uh somewhere because that's what comics are comics are an immediate experience you don't have to wait to be pleased in a comic you you can go to the opera go to the movie read a book and you're sort of waiting sure yeah yeah a comic has that has to have that feeling from page one the minute you open it it has to grab you by the the short ones and, and keep you there so do you have like some favorite comics of your own like not I, necessarily that you wrote, but like just the fans of uh, other uh, stories. Uh, you know, old school Marvel. Um, 
I'm a big Carl Barks fan. Yeah, I'm, absolutely. I, I, read, I read a recent history of Carl Barks and basically invented comic book writing. Uh, because no one knew how to do it until he figured it out. Because let's face it, most Golden Age comics are pretty awful. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm as eclectic with comics as I am with everything else. I mean, I like, you know, a lot of underground stuff. I love Freak Brothers. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, huge Kirby fan, enormous Ditko fan, Wally Wood, you know, guys like that. Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting to see how everything's changed and how also we'll get your thoughts on comic books aren't necessarily people in tights anymore. You know, it's, it's like there's a lot of s- stories like, you know, like Image and Duke, you just said earlier with Image and whatnot, like you can go and, and get someone that into comics that ne- isn't necessarily a superhero fan, but that can really appreciate and get into comics. Like I was following like Thief of Thieves and you look at like Saga and all these other like, right. they're totally like, they're not your typical man in tights, you know, flying no. off into space. And it's something I think maybe kind of opens the door for other people to kind of get into that wouldn't necessarily be into like science fiction you know. Well, I mean, I got into Marvel doing, you know, war and Western comics and Conan. Sure. I mean, I love that stuff. That's what I was into, even more so than superheroes. But, yeah, I mean, I just read a great book about, um, uh, you know, dogs in the military. It was like a history taking three different time periods. Yeah, it's just awesome, incredible comic. You yeah. know, not a, not a superhero in sight. And, you know, a lot of these biographical comics, which I really don't care for, but it's interesting. Yeah. You know, these I, people write, doing a graphic novel about their life. I loved that. Uh, Brian K. Vaughn did a, uh, a series called Pride. It was about the uh, lions and everything during the right. Afghanistan war and all that. Yeah. It was fascinating because it was like getting a note. It was almost talking. It talk, It dealt with, like, prejudice and, like, even from – he was almost taking the – the lions and almost using them as like a figurehead for our Americans thought on war on terror. It was really right. fascinating. Right. Like who's really the enemy, you know, like, and they were, he was showing how like people were just humans, just like you and I, you know, and when war puts you, you like, that's the enemy, that's the target. But you don't think about that enemy has, has a husband, has a wife, has a family at home that has a situation they were just kind of thrown into. Right. And I, I think it's kind of fascinating how you get something, you know, from that perspective. But, but that said, you know, you start beheading people. I really don't care that you had a family. Or sure, <laughs> you know, that's what true. your record collection looks like. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> true. But the, you know, um, yeah, I mean, th- that's the thing. Like I said, comics are an immediate experience. The, the best comics and most comics, they delight on every page. So they draw you in the way no other medium does. Absolutely. So, so Deuce, any other questions you have for Mr. Dixon today? The only question I've got is, is who who are you working for right now? Who are you? Yeah, what are you doing right, right now? now? So tell the our folks at fans home. Can yeah. find your work. Yeah. Well, I you know a, a lot of what I do now is uh, prose novels that are available on Amazon. You just put in Chuck Dixon. I'm doing a time travel series, a Punisher type series. I've written a zombie novel, uh, so I'm doing a lot of that. Uh, I'm, I have a recent SpongeBob issue out. Nice. With um, and I have a lead story. I'm supposed to. Be, I, I'm talking. I'm talking, well, we're, I'm going to be doing a Conan uh, miniseries for Dark Horse, so I'm returning to Conan. Nice. Uh, Graham Nolan and I have Joe Frankenstein out there from IDW. So, and um, I just did a graphic novel adaptation of the book Clinton Cash. It's basically the story of the Clinton Foundation. <laughs> so uh, Nice. Yeah, so that that's going to be out in a few months. But, yeah, staying busy. So how do people find you on the internet? Like the research, what you're doing? Do you have a website? Uh, or Twitter well, I got, or I got a, I got a Facebook page, but then I got a Facebook public figure page. Sure. I got a blog spot. I'm not sure where. I don't remember the address. <laughs> just you know, just Google me. It's it all it all comes up, and especially Google me on Amazon because that's that's 
you know, that's the bulk of what I'm doing now. Yeah, definitely. Um, so. <laughs> so, Mr. Dixon, we really do appreciate your time taking out your busy schedule at, uh, live at Sci-Fi Barto to join no, us on the happy hour with Johnny. Give and a Deuce. good shout out to our boy John, John Harrison at Main Street Comics and memorabilia for making for all this making happen. all this happen. So, we really appreciate your time. All Thank right, you for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you.